Oh, saying things out loud is hard sometimes. My father trained horses. I've raised yearlings since I was five years old. I know a thoroughbred when I see one. We can't lose him. My God, you really don't see them as children, do you? It used to be a war crime to recruit anyone under the age of 15. When the war is over, we can have the luxury of debating the morality of what we do. When it's over, what will be left of the boy? What does it matter if there's nothing left at all? Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Style Guide Podcast with your hosts, Dave Morris and Stephen Orr. How are you doing today, Dave? I am doing great, steve And yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Ready to talk about the Enderverse. I am ready to talk about the Enderverse, uh, and I've been rereading it, and I every time I reread it, I remember how much I like that series. Uh, and uh, But we should talk about something before we even talk about the series, which is that this is the first time in the podcast we have done something that isn't a broad sort of genre or or filmmaker or uh, or style, but we're doing like one very specific book series. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be a very different approach for us, and we're going to see how that works out. Yeah, and why are we doing a book series, steve Well, we're doing a book series because this season, Paper Street Theatre will be doing an improvised Margaret Atwood. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. In 2016, and we wanted to uh, we wanted to get a feel for it and uh, and see how it went with this. But also, Particularly because the Ender's Game series, I think, is it's an important series for both you and I and how we think about storytelling and how we think about uh, characters. Or at least it is for me. It's, it's one of those book series that I, I actually go back to it again and again as, as philosophical work as well. And I think it really has uh, helped shape how I got to where I've gotten today as, as a scholar and a thinker let alone as as a as an improviser. And I agree with that statement that Ender's Game has been very influential on my um my thoughts, a lot of philosophical thoughts that come out of it. I find very uh influential on my own and the uh the storytelling aspect of it and the whole idea of a speaker for the dead I really appreciate. Um so a lot of the story has influenced my life and it's actually probably one of my favorite book series ever. I think I can say that statement. And not be uh, not be lying. And I reread that series every year. Yeah, yeah. I I'm a rereader as well. I I go back to the books that I love. Uh, but I probably have gone back to the Ender series. It might be the second most compared to mm. uh, Frank Herbert's Dune books. Those, oh yeah, you're a Dune fan. That's right. Well, well, that uh, Dune was the the first major philosophical novel that I interacted with, and that had a profound effect on on myself as a thinker. So I, I oh. do go back to it often. You don't need to justify Dune to me. You, I, I'm with you. I remember the first time I read Dune and someone tried to talk to me at a coffee shop while I was reading it. And I put the book down and I looked at them and I was just, all I could think was, please go away. They're in the middle of a war. <laughs> <laughs> and I just really wanted to read the book. It was one of the first times I'd ever had like a book pull me out of the real world. Like, I don't want to be here. I want to be reading this book. So today we're going to be doing a podcast about Dune. Then. <laughs> no, we're not. No. Um, but Ender's Game, one of the things I, I love about when I read it is I go back to read Ender's Game thinking, oh, I'll just read Ender's Game because I just, I mean, I like that book. And as soon as I finish it, I start reading Speaker for the Dead and then I go straight through the whole series and I just can't not finish it. Like even this, this uh, before this podcast, I've been rereading it just to kind of get it back in my head. And I haven't finished Xenocide, but when the podcast is over, I'm going to finish Xenocide. 
and then I'm going to read Children of the Mind. I'm not going to stop. Yeah, yeah. Well, and p- part of that is, I think, I'm the way he tells stories. I oh. want to wait for that siren. Yeah. I don't even have windows open. It's the heat. Is that it over? I think it's over. Perfect. And part of it, I think, is the way that he tells stories. I mean, he is son of a... <laughs> we should just leave all this in. <laughs> part of it, like, ah, son of a... What it really is is, ah, damn it. <laughs> okay, I think it's gone far enough away that I'm okay with it. All right. So part of it for me is that the way he tells stories is so obviously sequel bait. Like the end of his story always very clearly sets up the next story such that, damn it, there wasn't an ending here. Even though there was there was totally an end to the story, yeah. but he gives you enough that you're you're almost starting the next story while you're still reading the book. Yeah, well, I mean, like, like Speaker for the Dead ends with them getting a treaty with the piggies because they've gone to war against Starway's Congress. <laughs> and then it's like, end of book. And you're like, oh, I wonder if there's going to be another one. <laughs> there has to be because they just went to war against Starway's Congress. Like, of course, they're gonna, there's going to be another book. Uh, and actually, you know, part of that, and this is this is one of those facts about Ender's Game that I, that I, I appreciate, is that he wrote Ender's Game as a short story, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you read the short story? I have, yeah. It's wonderful, and uh, it takes it, lo- it has a lot of the same themes of Ender's Game, but it removes a lot of the, the like. I don't think they're buggers in the in the short story; they're just the enemy. Yeah, they don't they don't say when they don't say, and then it's at the end you find out that it's real, and it's like what a classic short story little twist. Yeah, um, been around forever. Well, for a while. Uh, but he wrote that short story, and then he had the idea for Speaker for the Dead. And originally it was Singer for the Dead because he likes singers and he really wanted to have the person sing people's life story. But he managed to talk himself out of it, thank goodness. Thank goodness. And went for Speaker for the Dead uh, where they speak, someone speaks of the, the death of, of all these people. And while he was coming up with this idea, how's it going to work, who's, gonna, what, who, who's this main character, he had a thought that what if that character was little Ender Wigan, all grown up. And so he went back to Ender's Game and wrote Ender's Game as a full novel, just so he could write Speaker for the Dead as the sequel. Yeah, there's there's something that's that's beautiful about the poetry of of that kind of character becoming the Speaker for the Dead. I yeah. I, I do what, really appreciate it. Yeah, which is why Ender's Game ends with a chapter called Speaker for the Dead. Like it ends setting up Speaker for the Dead as the next book, because uh, he went back and wrote it because he wanted to write that sequel. Which I think is so cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, you know, something we haven't talked about yet that we really need to just do is that you and I are not going to be talking about Orson Scott Card's life, politics, or beliefs because we probably don't agree with them. Uh, and we're just talking about the book series, right? Yeah, and they're not particularly interesting to us as storytellers anyway. Yep, and uh, whether or not we like him has nothing to do with how we feel about his book series. Ender's yeah, and and I think the the ability to separate an author from their work, uh, I I think that's that's necessary in in a lot of ways for for us as storytellers because something can be a good story and something can be a well told story and the person telling it can be despicable or they can be an idiot and and have happened upon uh, an excellent story or happened upon an excellent series of books and. Uh, 
And yeah, yeah, I I agree, and I think that uh, we don't need to talk about Orson Scott Card. No, no. And I guess we should backtrack a little bit more. We are talking about uh, today. We're going to be talking about Ender's Game, Speaker for the Dead, Xenocide, and Children of the Mind, and probably Ender's Shadow as well. But we're not going to delve too far into the rest of the Shadow series of books. Yes, mostly because they're not that great. They're not, no. <laughs> but but also because they're a very very different story. It's there. There is a sense in which Ender's Game to Children of the Mind can be understood as a single narrative arc. Mm-hmm. You can, once you start adding the Shadow books into there, it starts to get very confusing. Yes, and then once you add an Ender in Exile as well, it gets even more. Uh, um, it stops making sense. <laughs> so we're not going to talk about Ender in Exile very much either. Yes. Yes. All right. Okay. Cool. So where were we? Um, well, I think uh, maybe we should backtrack just all the way to Ender's Game. All right, great. Let's start. Let's start talking about the series. Should we? Should we uh, talk about uh, Orson Scott Card's writing style, or just jump right into uh, our favorite parts of the books? I think let's jump into our favorite parts. I think the writing style will come out somewhat. Great. Let's do it. Ender's Game. Uh, what was the first first time you read it? Did you figure out the ending? You know, I honestly can't remember. I've been trying to think that through in rereading them because I I find that I don't care that the ending is coming every time I'm reading it now. It doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. I mean, and, and as a rereader, that's an important skill to have anyway, to, to not worry about the ending. But with with this one, I, I honestly don't recall. And that leads me to believe that probably I didn't. Mm-hmm. But for me, when I first read Ender's Game... It wasn't the ending wasn't the important part anyway. the The important part of the story and its uh, and its effect on me was this this character and his his growth and and the and the struggles he was suffering through. And so it was it, the the end point of going off to fight in the bugger war seemed so far removed that I didn't I didn't care what happened at the end. Yeah. Um... In my, I remember, I remember when I read it because I think you probably read it when you were younger than I did. I read it more as an adult for the first time. Yeah, and I remember reading it and knowing there must have been some. There's got to be a, a twist ending here, you know. Like I'm like, there's some trick to this. Like the, just from the very first, uh, like the state, the theme stated in like the first chapter, where Ender, Ender says, uh, "Sometimes lies are more dependable than truth." Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, okay, so there's some trick going on here. Like, this isn't real. No no one's telling you the truth. And you start figuring that out, like the enemies, the teachers of the enemy, yada, 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 throughout the whole book. Uh, but the thing that I thought was coming was that the the sort of classic, there is no enemy. Right. And the buggers aren't aren't coming back, and they don't exist. And maybe they they it's all just sort of propaganda and this way of controlling the, you know, earthbound religious wars and all this sort of stuff. And so that there was actually going to be no ending and um, and that there wasn't actually a war. And so when the ending came, I was like, what? I thought it was going to be a different twist. <laughs> um, but I was waiting for a twist. And I think that is what made it even better to me is that he managed to convince me there was no war. And even uh, Dink Meeker, is that his name? His yeah, friend, Dink. Yeah. Even tells him, like, do you really think the buggers are coming back? Like to plant that seed in your head. So that you're expecting this totally different outcome. And then all of a sudden, no, it's actually real and Ender just killed them all. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Blew me yeah, out. yeah. And it, it, 
I, I mean, it is shocking when it happens because, and, and for me, the, the shock was the emotional shock of just not, oh, he killed, he killed an entire race of people. Because I think when I first read it, I was at an age where I couldn't, con like, I, I didn't conceptualize the buggers as something like I was, like it was sure. just too far removed. But I understood that emotionally for Ender, that this was a horrific incident and and just the amount of empathy i felt for him made the weight of that ending just it crushed me i was yeah. i was devastated the mm -hmm. the first time i read the the book and and i i didn't go back and and read the later books until maybe a year later uh, after i'd taken some time and then reread the book because of how how emotionally i was affected by the ending of it yeah it was it's a it's an incredibly beautiful ending and the way the the whole the uh, the description of the event like uh like right before they they uh destroy the homeworld and ender just sees it and he's he's crushed because there's so many ships he's like they they never wanted me to win they never expected me to pass this is this is unfair you know and that they cheated and the game is broken or whatever and so already he starts out crushed and you hear like gasps in the room of other people he's like thank god the teachers know this is this is uh unfair uh, all the way up to destroying the planet and thinking like, ha ha, I defeated the teachers and then a room full of people in tears and he's super confused. Like there's such a great emotional kind of coaster through all of that that ends with him getting incredibly angry. Yeah. And I th and I think that's why we need kind of what what ends up being the setup for Speaker for the Dead, but why we need that extended ending where Ender gets to meet with his Jish and and kind of unpack what happened but then also he goes to Shakespeare and and gets to kind of he, he he gets a happy ending are you there did you just yep did you just throw in a Shakespeare reference like to Ender in Exile no or did I is the planet yeah. not called Shakespeare it's not called Shakespeare at all it's only Ender in Exile that renames it Shakespeare well <laughs> see it confuses everything yeah. Oh, that's he, the worst. He even says in the introduction of Ender and Exile that um that he even says in the beginning of Ender and Exile that uh that he doesn't like he, he doesn't feel like he should be like bound by the things he said in the other books and that he's he's allowed to change things now if he wants to and stuff like that and so he changes some of the facts. That monster. Yeah, because the uh Shadow series to like make it work with the Shadow series he also had to change some things. It was like, "Oh my god. Uh it's the worst." Um so, yeah, but he does go and he governs a colony. <laughs> right, which is super, like, there, there's a lot that's weird about that and the way they jump through time, really for the first time in the entire series. Like, it's just like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's a bunch of time later. Uh, it, it, it's fine because of kind of the poetry of the moment where Ender gets the recognition that the mind game is has been uh, has been understood by the buggers and that they've they've been with him all along and that they forgive him like that 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 for me makes the the ending of it just oh okay well at least at least there's some sort of uh emotional catharsis yeah it's like a bittersweet ending is what it really is and that it's it's like this they like he him and the hive queen have like fallen in love with each other sort of you know like uh at the end and like she forgives him and he promises to take her and find her a new world and it's all oh, it's very beautiful it's a very very sweet way to end it and you could just end there yeah yeah and 
I, I mean, I, I, I don't feel like you need to see the next story. Um, and I also don't feel that Speaker for the Dead is logically the next story that comes after. Uh, yeah, I'm so happy it does. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, Speaker for the Dead is, is a fantastic book, but, and the, the, the change between Ender's Game and Speaker, I mean, part of this has to do with the fact that Ender has grown up. He's no longer, what, an eight or nine-year-old boy. He's, he's now a 35-year-old man. Yeah. And, and so the, the story <laughs> matures, and, and this is similar to the Harry Potter series, right? The Harry Potter series starts off as a relatively plainly written, simple... Childish, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and towards, I mean, towards books five, six, and seven, they get dark, the, the, not, not only in, in theme, but the tones get darker. The incidents that are happening to Harry and his friends are sharper be, because the audience has grown up, but also because the character has grown up. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, it... In the Harry Potter series, it's it's done more fluidly, obviously, because it happens year after year. In in Ender's Game, you don't need Ender to be the character in Speaker for the Dead. No, you do not. And I mean, there are references certainly to the events of the first book, but very few of them are so important that they that the story couldn't be written in another way. Are you, are you talking that Speaker for the Dead, it doesn't need to be Ender who's the speaker? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I would sort of disagree with you on that. And this is where I think the 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 fact that he goes from uh, Ender's Game to Children of the Mind, where like Children of the Mind ends with Peter marrying a Chinese girl <laughs> on a planet filled with Portuguese people, and then they disappear. Like that's how it ends. <laughs> Also, Miro, Miro with, like, marries uh, and Miro marries an AI. A, a Valentine, but <laughs> Jane know? as Valentine, but Jane as Valentine, and then they all close their eyes and they disappear uh, with this glowing tree behind them. So, like, it's uh, he gets from Ender's Game that starts with a kid getting a metal thing pulled out of the back of his head to that, and the whole way feels like one logical story when you read it straight through, which is, I think, an amazing feat just on its own. Uh, I was talking with this to Missy about that the other day. But I think that the fact that Speaker for the Dead uh, did have to be Ender to make it the same character. Because he, the, the whole idea that he is the original Speaker for the Dead who wrote the book to forgive the, to like uh, from the perspective of the buggers forgiving humanity. And he wrote the hegemon explaining humanity to everyone meant that he's the perfect character to write uh, the piggies story, The Life of Human. Um, but also the fact that he's the xenocide and he's the one who was the soldier that destroyed the buggers' homeworld. The fact that he is both of those things, that he is the quote-unquote destroyer and the quote-unquote the, uh, um, I guess, like life bringer backer, <laughs> the life of the biographer. Um, and the fact that that same thing is that he is Peter and Valentine kind of. He's like the, the metal in between the two sides of the coin. Uh, I think all of that is 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 the some of the most important parts of that character and why the story works so well. See, for me, what that is, and I, I confess, I don't enjoy children of the mind. Uh, Not many people do. <laughs> I mean, it, it, sorry. Well, I, I, I still, I still read it. I don't enjoy it as much as the rest of the series. And I don't think card 
is able to kill his darlings. He he is a writer who becomes so in love with his characters and and the idea mm -hmm. of the characters so much that he isn't able to to let them go. And and so I mean having Ender be uh the speaker for the dead in in speaker that that's fine. There's 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 some poetry to that and it's beautiful and 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 I can appreciate it. Having having Peter and Valentine come back, despite the fact that they're, I mean, Peter particularly has been gone from the series mm -hmm. entirely. Like there's maybe one or two references to him in Speaker, but they're 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 slight references, and it it's only I think through writing the Shadow series that that he decides no, Peter needs to come back into this universe. I don't know. I don't even know the the publication mm -hmm. order but for me it felt like he was so he was so in love with the character that he wasn't able to just let the character go and tell this story i mean there you're right there is the the ender being the the metal between the between the two sides but i also think that one of the points of the series is is that that's a false idea it's it's not that that uh, Valentine is good, and it's not that Peter's evil, and it's not that Ender can be both. It's that they are all three of them. It's that they they shaped themselves through their childhood and became the kind of people that they wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And Peter, Peter, more than anyone, ended up being a creator until the events of uh, Speaker for the Dead. Right? Like he's he is the one who created the Starways Congress. Yeah, well, I mean, I think they, uh, the that they even point that uh, I, Valentine points that irony out in the novels, where that Peter, the one who that as children was the destroyer, ended up becoming the greatest hegemon in Earth and and helped colonize the stars, while Ender, who was the kind young brother who was super empathetic, ended up being the one who destroyed an entire race of, of like and, and committed xenocide, and the irony that that the kind brother did the terrible thing and the terrible brother did the great thing. Uh, she points that out, and I think that that isn't necessarily one of the false ideas of the book, but I think that's part of it. Is that is that uh, as much as Ender is the balance between Peter and Valentine, Valentine's the balance between Peter and Ender, and Peter's the balance between Valentine, like you know, like and Ender, like they're they're kind of this like um, for uh, I don't want to use the word, but like they're like this trinity <laughs> of of forces uh, that exist in everybody, and so there is some of the destroyer and Ender, and there is some of the the control freak valentine like valentine has some of peter in her as well and peter has some of valentine and ender in him you know um and i think that like i, I see what you mean that he doesn't want to kill his characters and he likes wanted he brought peter back and valentine back uh, almost it didn't need to go that direction the story you right. know like i wasn't dying to have young peter and valentine come back like i was like oh what happened to his brother and sister because like honestly that's one of the chapters in the book that when you're rereading it you might skip is when is Valentine and Peter on Earth plotting to take over the world? Like, yeah, <laughs> if yeah. you're gonna skip a chapter, that's the one you skip because yeah. it's not because like okay, back to battle school, let's go. And so I think you're right that he brought them back unnecessarily, but I think at the same time he brought them back because uh, I may I mean I don't I don't know what his intention was, but it is what forgives Peter, right? It is what what not not forgives him, but what's the word that that. Uh, that justifies him, redeems? That, uh, redeems the character of Peter Wigan. 
uh, because he is, from all regards and perspectives of Ander, treated as like the worst person in the world. Except for then he writes the hegemon about him. But other than him writing the hegemon about him, that's referenced at the end of thing and then always spoken along with the Hive Queen. Everything else is just about the Hive Queen, nothing else about the hegemon uh, as far as the books that he wrote go. So I think bringing Peter back allows us to then follow Peter's story through Children of the Mind and watch how Peter, in the end of that story, this young Peter, becomes the person that Ender Wigan as a child wanted to grow up to be. You know, like he's a 16-year-old guy who's now like free to live and like be a balanced person. But the thing is, we already follow that story. We follow that seri- story in the Shadow series. Um, yeah, well, this is the, the Shadow series was written afterwards, as far as I know, um, in publication date. Okay. And I think that was, he wanted to follow Bean's story. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that, that's another example. Uh, yeah. But of, let's, let's talk about Bean's story afterwards, because yeah, no, I have I, lots to say about that. I, I think I have lots to say about it, too. So, so I, I guess what I'm saying is I can see why he wanted to bring back Peter in not necessarily that he didn't want to kill his characters. Because I think one of the things I like about Orson Scott Card is that he allows his characters to grow and go through massive changes. Like one of my favorite uh, sections of Xenocide, actually, is when Valentine and Miro are talking on the ship. Because to me, I'm like, wow, I'm getting to know Valentine as a very different character. In Speaker for the Dead and in Ender's Game, she's still like his younger sister who loves him unconditionally. But in Xenocide, she's all of a sudden like a very strong, powerful woman. And we see her as like just as intelligent and manipulative as Ender. And like you see this like very powerful person, which you don't get that power from her in the other books. I No, I and I I agree with that entirely. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't feel like it needed to be Valentine or why, why it needed to be Peter, because I felt that one of the the stories that's being told here, and and you said it earlier, is that the capacity for the creator and the destroyer is in all of us. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things that we don't see, I mean, at, at, the, at the end of Speaker for the Dead, Ender does have to sacrifice, uh, is it human? Yeah. Yeah, he has to sacrifice human for the the purpose of the treaty. And and that can only be Ender because, you know, whatever. It can only be Ender. He's the only one who would be capable of doing it fine. But beyond that, he he is basically a pure character for the rest of the series. Ender? Ender, yeah. Like he's he only and even through speaker, he's he's good at his core. There's none of the the ruthlessness that you see in Peter, there's none of the, there's no, I mean, the most nuance you get from him is how, how conflicted he is about his relationship to Peter once Peter reappears. Yeah. But I, I just felt that it almost did the character a disservice by, by making him, I mean, I, I mean, it's almost as if Ender did all the evil in his life at age eight. Mm-hmm. So he didn't need to do any more later on. Twelve, but whatever. Sorry, twelve. Mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 part of me gets that, but but part of me's not. I'm I'm still not convinced that it needed to be him, and it needed to be the Wigan family that you know ends up being the 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 saviors of the universe. Like I don't. I I am really unsatisfied with the the way that the tr- children of the mind trajectory ends up basically making 
this one family the center of the universe sure and it does have that uh like i mean and i think that's a flaw with lots of science fiction novels and fantasy novels is that the character that we follow is the most important thing ever right like yeah ender wiggin is the most important person in the universe <laughs> He's the he's the Xenocide. He's the original speaker for the dead that spawned this, this religion that spread throughout the galaxy. Uh, he's been carrying around the Hive Queen, the only living thing. He's the only person that this artificial intelligence has ever dared to reveal herself to. Like he is so important that it it, it kind of can be ridiculous, right? When you think about it like that. But the same is true of so many different fantasy it's like even in dune like with with paul atreides like he is so important yeah you know and like and so it 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 is like i think a a failing of lots of these kind of fantasy novels and i think what i like about what orson scott card does with children of the mind even though i agree it is not the best of the books by far and i think uh as far as most people i know who read it they read ender's game speaker for the dead and maybe they'll go into xenocide but they probably won't even uh Xen- but Xenocide has path, and path is it's beautiful. It's so fun. Um, but like with Ender, what he does is, is uh, I think he realizes that Ender, the character of Ender Wigan, his importance of the story, like he's kind of, you know, got this treaty with the piggies. He wrote the life of human. And he it even, I think uh, in Xenocide is when they talk about it, that he's kind of useless. And all the real work um, on the planet is being done by scientists and xenobiologists and, like, the piggies and the people of this and the hive queens doing all this work. And, like, he's just kind of there now and feels kind of useless. And that's sort of like, I'm useless now. Which is why when Valentine and Peter come out of his head, uh, it's so weird to say these things out loud sometimes. Um, like what happens in the story. It makes so much sense when you're reading it. But saying it out loud just out of context seems like the weirdest thing. Well, and even um, then you've said it in, in, in kind of a way that makes sense. They came out of his head when yeah. they went to outside. Outside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, where where they created a cure for the virus that was in, not killing anyone. Because it was in her head. Um, so, <laughs> uh, But when that happens, it it almost revitalizes that character's story the story of Ender by putting him into these two other bodies and allowing him to then die, you know? And so like, I I think, I think it was almost out of the fact that like, okay, Ender is done now. So I'm going to spawn these other two characters out of him. And he chose to make it the two child visions that he has in his head from when he was a kid, which I think is what your biggest problem is with it is that he brought Peter back. Why Peter? Why not just follow Miro and Valentine and it's it's not so much that it was Peter and Valentine exactly. It's that so you're you're right. It, the, I mean, Dune is a great example. Like Paul Atreides ends up being the new Jesus, and and the, and everything revolves around him. And I don't have a problem with that because Frank Herbert doesn't write good characters. <laughs> sure. Like Frank Herbert had one character in that series who was at all nuanced or at all interesting. And, yeah, and, the guy and who like trained him, right? The guy who trained him. That was that was oh, played Duncan by Idaho? Patrick Stewart. Yeah, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. But 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 that's the thing. There's there there's really only that one. What Orson Scott Card is able to do with characters is is take people like uh, Han Fei Su or take people like Miro mm-hmm. or take oh. people like Ender and create these beautiful, interesting, and nuanced characters. And there's a part of me that says. 
well, what's the need to keep returning to the old characters when you're so clearly able to create these beautiful, new, and interesting, and so much fun to follow characters? I mean, by the time we get to Children of the Mind, can you name all the characters in the book? Like, all... Like, there are, there are so many people who are, who are moving the plot along in various ways. I forget all the time different characters. And I'm shocked when I'm, oh, right, right, Grego, I totally forgot that you existed yeah. except as a child who pees on Ender. No, no, he's a physicist that comes up with the theory of outside along with Olhado, the kid with metal eyes. Yeah. Who yeah. grows up to be a family man. Like, I mean... And it is, it's true. He, he's so well, great at taking a character that could have, like, Grego should have been a throwaway character, really, you know? But, but Orson Scott Card's like, no, no, I'm going to show you a whole other side of Grego. And then he does and shows him as a rabble rouser and starts a riot that burns down the forest, which is like, wow. But at the same time, we all go, but he totally, that's what that kid would do, even though he's all grown up now. And then we show him as this incredible physicist uh, and give you like all these different sides of that character. And even Olhado, 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 I don't know. Hado, I don't know. I was, I was fearing talking about this, these books just because I can't pronounce any of the names. Um, but uh, he, when he's a kid and he has the metal eyes and so it's all like he's so removed and he's unconnected. But then he's the one who shows the video that he's stored in his memory forever of, you know, uh, Marqueo, uh beating his, beating up uh, Novena. And like... And gets and like cries, but he has no tear ducts. And like, so like, we see so many sides of him just in Speaker for the Dead. Uh, and then he grows up, and we see that he has this family life that that's what he's really attached to, and that's what's so beautiful, and that's what he's found like happiness in, and stuff like that. And the secret he keeps from his family is happiness. So we see like so many sides of this character that makes you love him, even though he's just this kid with metal eyes. And he could have just been the kid with metal eyes, and that's the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and that's exactly my point is that. I am happy to see new characters. I I am happy to see these new explorations in the same universe, even following the same story. It's okay for me if Ender Ender dies and the story of Ender Wigan is over. But instead, now we have the story of Ender Wigan continuing through Peter. Yeah. And and for me that's unsatisfying because I was I was comfortable I mean, I'm I'm not entirely happy with with how uh, Ender ends up with Novena. Actually, I I, I there, there's a part of me that always struggles with that with that love interest story, and it's and it and it was rereading Xenocide where I really felt it, where I'm like, ah, this is I just yeah. I, I, I I wish I wish you hadn't locked him into this, but at the same time, I'm comfortable with Ender's story coming to a close, and I don't need to keep following Ender. For me to keep buying into the story you're telling. Yeah, I, I see what you I see what you're saying. And I think this is where I think Orson Scott Card found a compromise. Where he was like, <laughs> Okay, I'm ready to kill Ender. But I know if I kill Ender, people are not gonna read the rest of the story because they just want to follow Ender. So here's what I'll do. I'll make Ender's Ayu. Ayo, are you? I actually AI. say aura. I just, I don't <laughs> you care. Just, you just say a different word. Yeah. Ender's soul. Um, no. And I'll split it between three characters, and then he can die, and those other two characters can live on. And I also get a body for Jane. Great. Um, and Ender can live in Peter. 
But then what we end up following is we don't follow Ender for those books. We follow Peter, who's this malicious, vindictive character, but also trying to discover who he is because he's not even himself, which is a fantastic character. And if you just it like just remember that it's it's just Ender's Aya in him, but it's not actually Ender. It it's like you're following a totally different character, right? Um, and so I think that was his sort of let Ender die, but I do need a character that can go and fight this battle. So I'm going to use Peter because I want Miro to go on this other story quest where he falls in love with Jane and stuff like that, you know. And they go and discover the Descalada and Quora. Like they make Quora so so awesome in the last book as the bad guy you know like uh it's it's uh it's great um but but yeah like i think the the thing with him is that he creates so many new characters but then he takes the characters that he created and also creates them into new characters and has them grow while creating new characters around them which i think is so so uh one of the, the great gifts of of his writing the, the thing that makes his writing great is his ability to do that yeah, I mean the 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 arcs of his characters are certainly beautiful. It just for me, uh, I mean, the transition from speaker or from Ender's game to speaker is really interesting because we stop following the character of Ender, and I think it isn't till till towards the end of the book where where he gets called Ender very often. Like it's it's narrated from the perspective of either Andrew or the speaker. Uh, Jane calls him Ender. Yeah, Jane Jane calls him Ender, but it's and, still Yeah, yeah. Jane calls him Ender through the whole book and uh but most of it is everyone referring to him as speaker. Yeah. Yeah, and so it allows you it allows you to not think of him as the eight year old uh, twelve year old child. Eight to twelve year old child. Mm-hmm. See, I have this similar problem in the later Shadow books where Bean names one of his children Ender. Yeah. And my brain my like I just I, I really struggle with these characters who are all connected to each other who share names. But when they like it, it I it might be as much for me that I can't disconnect Peter Wiggin from the first book and from the Shadow series from Peter Wiggin who is filled with Ender's aura yeah. in the Children of the Mind. And so for me I'm just I'm I'm coming up with a disconnect and it's really hard for me to I I don't know mm-hmm. I just Well yeah I I I find it I I I enjoy the exercise of disconnecting them. You know, and I kind of love the fact that the person Ender hated so much as a child is the one who saves the universe. <laughs> I uh, or saves Lucy Tian, yeah, however you say the name of the planet. Yeah. See, this is why I hate talking about these books. <laughs> but uh and I think one of my favorite one of the, the most beautiful moments and i haven't finished rereading the series since we started this podcast so this is just from like memory from like the first time i read it is when uh okay this this is one of those moments where you're explaining a part of a sci-fi book and it sounds crazy okay when (laughs) jane has made them disappear and reappear around the bomb (laughs) and the royal mother of the west and peter wigan are floating uh and the bomb is right between them and they're that's been launched at the planet. <laughs> okay. Remember that moment? I do. And all of a sudden they feel very vertigo because they're floating. There's no gravity. And, uh, and then Peter tells her to think of the bomb as downwards. And he doesn't know where that thought came from, but it was the thought that made him 
comfortable in space and realize that he knows how to be in zero gravity naturally and he doesn't know why is the moment where I'm like, oh man, that goes all, that's like a callback from the very first book. The enemy's gate is down, like the most beautiful phrase. And it comes back like right in like the second to last chapter of this four book series that has gone so far off track from where he thought it was going to go. And it's, it was this moment of like, <gasps> click, ding, it all makes sense. You know, like, like, look at how beautiful this, this, this story is one story, you know? Yeah, there and and there are there are quite a few of those 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 lovely moments in the series. Like one of one of the things that I take away from the Bean series that I I didn't expect to enjoy is they've they've got this ongoing um tree of life versus tree of knowledge narrative, right? Mm-hmm. So the reason the reason that Bean is so smart is because he's going to die so young and it has to yeah. do with Anton's key and and all that sort of stuff. But it's it's this I mean, it, I mean, very, very, very Christian imagery. And if you start to follow that throughout the rest of the books, you, you get these really interesting sorts of uh, understandings of the relationships. And, and someone like Pete, uh, sorry, uh, someone like Ender becoming speaker and living thousands of years inverts that in really fun ways. Mm-hmm. And so when you get to the the moment in xenocide where he's just he's split in three it's uh you you almost understand it right like these are these are the consequences of of trying to live within the both the tree of life and live from the tree of knowledge at the same time you you do end up breaking down in your core somehow and 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 so so there is lots of lots of little beautiful moments where the more that you read it, the more that you unlock. And the more that you mm-hmm. unlock, the more you want to read it. Yeah, which is why I should say everyone should continue reading the series straight through every time. <laughs> and you'll you'll enjoy it more and more as you read through it. Like when they go to the, the planet, uh, what's the name of the planet? What do they call Pacifica? Pacifica? But there's like yeah. But there's like the name the, the people who live there call it. That's something different. I almost forget that happens. Yeah. You know, and then every time it happens, I'm so happy it happens. Because it's such a great, like there's a, you, you meet a, a whole sh- swarm of brand new beautiful characters. And uh, that whole beautiful theme of like enough is enough. You bear something until you can't handle it and you say that's enough and then you change something or you just eat until I have enough and you give the rest away. Like that whole philosophy is very beautiful and, and you don't get that if you don't continue reading through the series. My, my, fa- my favorite story of the entire series is, is the, the path story. From uh, Xenocide. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I, I I absolutely love Han Fei Su. And even the opening of that book where he's his wife is is dying is he's beautiful. Like teasing, they're teasing each other through philosophy and stuff. And, like, ugh, it is so sad. And and that's when we first meet Queen Zhao. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, it's, and that is something else that I, I love about his novels as well. The beauty of them all. Is the characters that we fall in love with as adults we know as children, right? We meet them when they're children, almost all of them, and watch them age and grow up, and we see the child version of them in the adult version of them, but different. So we see the, like, young Quora in old Quora, that silent, like, defiant Ender Stinks kind of thing, uh, but as an adult who's smart and, and intelligent 
and then like hates her family at the same time and all that sort of stuff. And we see young Grego and older Grego and we see, uh, you know, we see the young Novena in the old Novena, even though the young, young, uh, uh, Novena was, we liked her, right? We loved her as a character. She was this smart, bright, defiant young woman who was a victim. Her parents died. It's not fair. Um, she's a little crass and she's hard, but then like she softens as she falls in love with the, the Zena, the, the Zenador station, you know? Uh, and then we see her grown up and she's this cold hearted woman after this tragic event has happened. And we understand, right? We can see how she came from there to there. And so like seeing young Qing Zhao into the sort of adult or teenage Qing Zhao who destroys Jane is like you see where that comes from. Yeah. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that he, I mean, whether loosely or closely based, uh, based Ender on his son. And so he writes the original Ender's Game in the late 70s. Mm -hmm. um, and then he writes Speaker for the Dead, uh, you know, almost almost a decade later. And his son has grown up somewhat considerably, yeah. right? And so he he's writing the experience of fatherhood, in a sense, of watching your child grow into becoming a young man or a young woman. And... I mean, it, you're, you're right. It is absolutely beautiful the way that we are able to follow these characters. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy about the series is that we can skip 20 years and not care. <laughs> like, or 2,000 years. Like, <laughs> Right, right. He's comfortable with gaps and, and leaving things half told and half... Uh, like we we find out all kinds of adventures that Ender went or sorry speaker Ender went on when he was a speaker like just through casual conversation yeah but at no point do we do we feel the need to go follow those adventures right and that's yeah. what's so beautiful about the series he's willing to say this is the story that I'm telling and the other stories are there they're a backdrop and they're important for the character but they're not important for this story that I'm telling yeah. it's like um and I mean, like, uh, have you read stories from the Enderverse? Those, uh, is that where the it's a, it's, War of the Gifts is? Um, no, no, it's just a collection of short stories uh, that are all from different parts of the Enderverse. And it does things like there's a story of how he meets Jane for the first time. Oh, is in there. I have read that one, but she, I don't think I've read the, the book. Uh, and then there's like a story of his father when his father was six years old. You know what? Now, now that you're and saying his family, this, this all his sounds family familiar. was in Poland or or wherever they were. I think it was Poland. Yeah, Poland. And that a very young Colonel Graf comes to try and take him to join Starways Congress, right? <laughs> and uh, and instead gets his family to em immigrate to America. And they're like, "Why'd you do that?" And Graf's like, "I play the long game." <laughs> uh, you know, like uh, one of those moments. Um, and so, like there, and like also, like his parents' first meeting in university is in there. You know, like. And it's this lovely little jaunt through these short stories that could have been. And that's how I read it. I read it like they could have been because I don't want to believe that they have actually happened. Uh, and this gets me, this brings me to what I, my, my, my criticism of the Shadow series, uh, specifically Ender's Shadow, which I think is the one that everyone loves of that series, uh, where we follow Bean's story through the same events. Yes. Uh, is that it, it alters the perception of events to make Bean the hero. And in doing so, kind of cuts Ender down a little bit in a lot of the key places that Ender was great. Yeah, it for for me and I 
I've read those books before and didn't like them, and in rereading Ender's Shadow for this podcast, I loathe the book, and it, I loathe the character of Bean. You loathe him? Yeah. In it, I, I, I don't think that what, what goes on in the Ender's Shadow, uh, well, for starters, uh, they, they just make Bean smarter and better than Ender. Like that's um, the the only difference is Bean's going to die in 12 years, 13 years, and Ender's going to live 2000. Yeah. And it's the it's the like they make uh, Bean smarter, better and smaller (laughs) Like because Ender was small, too, and smart and the best soldier and Bean better than that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and then all kinds of things happen throughout the book where through through Ender's shadow where. We see the incidents that we saw for the first time through Ender's eyes, and now we're quote unquote seeing them through Bean's eyes. And Ender looks like an idiot. So when Ender, well, he looks like he's being manipulated. Yeah. Well, but even like even when uh, Ender first gets Dragon Army, and he's making fun of Bean, uh, and and afterwards Bean is like, "How did you not know who I am? Everyone in the room thinks you're an idiot for not knowing who I am. I'm the greatest student at battle school," and and if you if you want to believe that that's all just Bean's arrogance talking, fine. But there's too much in the narrative of that that makes to it make clear. It true. Yeah, yeah. Like Bean, Bean is better. Like Bean is, is the most popular kid at school. <laughs> yeah. Other than Ender. Uh, and like the fact that, I mean, the one that, the dig that I, I don't, that made me, I, I, it happens right at, near the end where I, where I almost totally turn off uh, or almost totally like reject the series as, as uh as enjoyable is when he says the enemy's gate is down and in Ender's shadow, they make it as though Bean knew that that was going to be what made Ender do the thing he had to do, you know, (laughs) because Bean knew that they were real people in the ships and he knew that like they were actually fighting the war and he knows everything because he's the best. And he knew that if he said the enemy's gate is down, it would remind Ender of that time and then they would go and make this attack. Where in the original Ender's game, he has that realization on his own that this reminded him of being against two armies. And yeah. says, Bean must have had the same thought because he says the enemy's gate is down. Uh, to which Ender decides to do it. So like they make it, they cheapen that moment from the original book when they make it that Bean was doing it intentionally to manipulate Ender. Yeah, well, for for me, it's the uh, in Ender's shadow. Just as uh, after Ender has won his last battle in Dragon Army, and Bean is in the room, and they're having that conversation where uh, you know Ender Ender is feeling terrible about having beaten the crap out of, and then later we find out killing Bonzo, um, and and that entire conversation, which is very much a childlike Bean you know, doing his best to console somebody who is inconsolable. And Ender to realize he's such a child. He is a child. Look at him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and in Ender's game, that's actually kind of beautiful, that scene. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's this touching moment between between two children who are trying not to be children, realizing that they are just kids. Yeah. And in Ender's shadow, every second line of dialogue has to include being said ironically, because it none of that could possibly be said in sincerely the char- anymore yeah, yeah from that character of bean because he's so perfect in every way mm-hmm. i mean there there are really interesting intersections in that book like the 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 relationship of the religious values of sister carletta 
with the military or broader societal values and how those those work together and against each other at times. Really interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. The relationship yeah. of family and, and the importance of that that we see continued from the Ender's book into into this own story where where Bean, Bean is the orphan who is even an orphan from everyone because he's he's a clone to the the twist at the end to realize that his best friend is actually his brother. Like there, there are some interesting, although occasionally heavy handed oh, yeah. moments. His best yeah. friend is his brother. Yeah. Yeah. Nikolai <laughs> is his brother. And, that's right. and they like, they, they don't even <laughs> pretend that that's subtle. They just telegraph it from very early on. Like it, Yeah. Yeah. It's true. But uh, it is, yeah. it is at times beautiful, but I think what, what happened there was he he couldn't let go of this idea of being that he never actually wrote down mm. and he couldn't he couldn't let go of that and so and he wanted to continue the peter story and he wanted to continue the story of hot soup and he wanted to continue petra's story and all these sorts of characters and the only way to do that is by retelling the story of battle school from someone else's perspective and because yeah. all of his characters are great wonderful hero almost jesus characters being over i mean he supplants ender entirely necessarily by the way that orson scott card writes yeah and and it ends up just being so tragic like even like the the big moment in the book where bean has to capture achilles like that's that's meant to mirror Ender's moment with Bone So, and Bean is able to do it without killing him. Like it's yeah, because Bean's better. Because Bean's better in every way, and so that it it it's frustrating. <laughs> yeah, and it and it it is. Uh, I mean, I I love uh, I love the idea of retelling the narrative through another perspective. I think that is so cool, and I think that that Ender's Shadow is probably one of the better examples of that in literature, uh, and possibly ever told stories uh like retelling a story through someone else's perspective i don't i can't think of another good example hmm. and so it it's i think that idea is great uh what i don't like is what it does to the original story uh and you can read them both independently of each other and enjoy both because you love the character of bean in, in ender's shadow and you love the character of ender in ender's game but in each book you don't love the other character as much <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. like when you're reading Ender's game, Bean is kind of this annoying kid for at start, and then Ender trains him into becoming the best. Really, like you know, so, uh, and he's just like one of the crew. And then in Ender's Shadow, Ender is like this foolhardy commander that's easy to manipulate, <laughs> or he's the best, but he's still like easy to manipulate. And it, it is ends up that that Bean was the one who really saved the day, and he was like ready to be the second in command if it didn't work out for Ender, you know? Like, they knew that, and we hear Graf talking about that. Well, and he even has a button on his console that allows him to just do it. Like, it, yeah. it And and it cheapens the Ender's game book, but then it cheapens what happens in Speaker for the Dead. Like, it, 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 takes, it takes all of the themes about redemption and about salvation and about... Uh, d good and evil and trying to trying to overcome your sins of the past and says yeah none of that really like you didn't do any of that ender so 
Yeah. It's kind of stupid that you felt that way. And what's even even more ridiculous is that he's writing a sequel book that is going to bridge uh, Shadows in Flight. No, sorry. Bridge the last Bean book with Children of the Mind. Oh, great. <laughs> even though at the end of both books, Bean dies and Ender died. Oh, we don't need that Orson Scott card. No, no, we don't. Um, Yeah. I hope he doesn't do that. He's he's going to. Uh, I hope he doesn't. It's I'm just, just like he Brian Herbert writing writing stories in the Dune universe and just pissing on his father's grave. Yeah, just on purpose. Um, just, yeah, because he hated his father. Yeah, you know the thing that that kept me from the Ender's Shadow series, uh, the Shadow series, so much, mm-hmm. is that I really didn't like Petra's character. <laughs> well, and I I think part of this gets into uh, a problem that. That Orson Scott Card's writing generally suffers from. And the love story between Petra and Bean, never for a second did I buy that story. And the whole idea of Achilles being this like super villain was never, just didn't work for me. None of that series really worked for me. I think the only part of that series was Bean and Peter's relationship that I kind of liked, you know, like, uh, and I actually did kind of like Peter's story. (laughs) That was like the part of the series that kind of got me. But the rest of it was just like so kabloof. Well, and and this is I, I I generally don't like Orson Scott Card's women. Mm, sure. But, um, the the exception would be uh, gloriously bright and uh, her her servant, royal mother of the West. Yeah. And yeah. Valentine, come on, old Valentine. And and Valentine ends up being good, but not, isn't initially right. Like she's she's actually pretty good initially. I, I when re, in rereading it, like her. Her like stubbornness and her, her like when she went and talked to Ender on the pond, and then she left. Yeah, and she you was know what? pissed right. off. She was pissed off at Graf because she did exactly what he wanted her to do. Even though after that conversation, we wouldn't think, oh, she convinced him to go back to battle school. But she knew because she's so smart. Yeah. No, you're you're right. You're right. I guess yeah. I'm thinking about Novena, old Novena. I'm thinking uh, about Petra, and. Then I'm thinking about the the later love relationships where they're they're just not particular. Like love is so strange in his books because Ender's Game is so beautifully written as a story about young young men who experience intense bonds of friendship that yeah. that is that that doesn't even border on that very clearly falls into love at points. Mm-hmm. Sure, and and then every other relationship. Uh, love story in the series ends up being pretty heteronormative. Yeah, very heteronormative and very cheesily just like, and they fell in love at first sight. Ta-da! Yeah. Ender like, falls in love with Novena the first time he sees her, even though he's a 35-year-old man and she's an eight-year-old she's a little girl. girl. Yeah, that's kind of gross. But the only reason that happens is because she's going to be a you know a 40-year-old woman by the time he gets there. Yeah, and How that makes convenient. it okay. That, made, that worked out. Um yeah, and like then Peter just falls in love with the Royal Mother of the West. Not at first, though. That's a nice one. Uh, Miro falls in love with Valentine. Yeah. Uh, and young Valentine and Jane. Miro just falls in love with everybody and his, uh, the, w- Wanda, who ends up being his half sister. Right. Oh, saying things out loud is hard sometimes. But, but, but that's the thing. And, uh, I mean, I, this is not going to happen, but you know the next book in the series takes place twenty years later, and it and it follows the fallout from Royal Mother of the West and Peter breaking up because that relationship probably wouldn't maintain itself because they got <laughs> together at age ten. 
Is that really what it is? No, but I mean... For, like, uh, that's awesome. That like would be awesome if that was it. All of his love stories, <laughs> they just generally work. And even the, the Novena Ender one, when that one doesn't work, Novena dies. He like, dies. Does he die? Ender dies. Novena does not die. She doesn't die? No, she lives. See, he kills Ender. Well, I know he kills Ender, but I thought she died and then he ended up dying later. No, she's the one who tells him. She says, uh, I don't need you anymore. You can die. Oh. You go go live a full life as Peter. Like if it wasn't and Valentine and her like fight and Sift is there, who's a character we haven't even mentioned because there's so many freaking characters in these books. But Sift is there and she's a well-rounded character too. Um and she does the speaking of Ender's death, uh, like and like Navina slap or a uh, Valentine slaps her and stuff, and there's that whole kerfuffle scene. Right. Okay. Well, but you know, the, like yeah, Ender dies, and Navina does not die. Right, but the relationship ends when one of them dies, not because relationships sometimes end. Well, and that I mean, this is where I think this is the one relationship, a love story that he does that is not uh, just like, and they fall in love and they live happily ever after. It's because Navina and Ender are like in marital disputes through most of the, most of the uh, end of Xenocide and Children of the Mind. And she, and she joins the order of the Philos de Mente Cristo because she, and, and like doesn't want to talk to Ender and he tries to go and talk to her every day and she sends him away and all this stuff and like, and like they're fighting and, and like I think Ender and Miro even talk about it at one point. <laughs> about like mira uh ender's troubles with girls you know like uh because their relationship is falling apart because it was not because ender isn't a romance lead you know, right he's he's a doer he wants to do stuff and so the fact that he's like trying to be this like husband is just it's and like that, that's the whole the whole arc of children of the mind is that being a husband and just living a boring life is killing him, literally killing him. And he is dying. Uh, and he's going off and living these other lives. And he falls over in the garden and just doesn't get up and then dies. Like, that's what happens. But, he, I mean, the, he, he's also having what is, I mean, what is clearly allegorically an affair with Jane, right? Like, and, and no, so he's not. Yes, he is. No, not in the later books. He turns for, her for off no, and then. Yeah, but for Navina. Ender's having an affair. He's yes, ha- from her she, perspective. He's having he's, an emotional affair with with a robot. She or, doesn't sorry, realize no. that doesn't realize that his relationship with Jane is that of a father. She doesn't realize that and so thinks it's jealousy and is yes. jealous of him and thinks he's having an affair. See, see and, and you're right. You're right. That relationship does have, have more nuance to it, except for the fact that the only way to get out of that relationship is to kill kill one of the characters <laughs> in it. Like it's... Yeah. It's Love not and like, marriage is forever in his yeah, worlds. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, and part of that has to do with the religious narratives throughout his stories, definitely. Yeah. Um, but it, for for me, I just I struggle so much with with any any of the love relationships that are romantic love instead of. Yeah, he's not good at writing romance, really. Um, no, he's and, not. But it is what makes that relationship really nice and really strong is that it isn't a perfect love story it's actually like a a constant battle Uh, and i I would say the same thing with miro and jane right there is a lot of like her saying to him and teasing him about the fact that she might not even be a woman that is he really in love with her she's just an overblown computer program is he even gonna miss her when she dies like all that kind of stuff of her teasing him about it and that he doesn't love her and she calls him on his bullshit and uh and then young valentine when he thinks he falls in love with valentine and young valentine's like you don't love me i'm ender anyway what the hell's like you're crazy uh so there is of course his underlying theme of love is always between a man and a woman 
yeah, and it's only when, to, it's only when Jane guy. becomes a woman that he actually the the relationship becomes real. Yeah, when he and takes then they Jane go get married and puts her in Valentine's body, then it's okay. But until then, like she's Ender, so he's falling in love with Ender. So hey, man, whoa, that's weird. Whoa, watch out, no gays. Uh, you know, and you get that in that book a little, uh, and that is where the parts of Orson Scott Card that we don't like come into the novel but but it is like the, the none of the relationships end up perfectly they don't fall in love with each other perfectly now that i think about it the only weird exception is the peter and royal mother of the west just sort of at the end she's like ah yeah i do love him i'm like what <laughs> like why where did that come from because uh, that she is had the worst to one. to save peter <laughs> yeah to save him oh my god it is the that is the worst love story of the whole thing is those two falling in love and the fact that he's like what is how old is peter in the he's supposed to be like a 13 or 14 year old or something like that. yeah right? he's a couple years older than Ender and would she's have been. and she's like 10 <laughs> you know maybe she's 12 i don't remember uh he's 14 and she's 12 i guess it's not that gross but like it's some sort of weird like like uh but I guess he's young too, or he's sixteen and she's twelve, or something like that. And it's just like, yeah, they get married. What? They get married? She's twelve. <laughs> See, and and this is what's moderately absurd is that his five orders of foreignness are foreignness are so beautiful and understanding of difference and <laughs> and the nuances of how how people and species and. Uh, and unlike creatures can interact with each other, and it's like mind blowing. Like whenever I think about the nature of our relationship to each other and to things that we don't understand, my first instinct is to go back to, you know, Framling and Raman, and yeah. and then you just watch him tell a love story, and you're just like, jeez. Yeah, I know. It is so funny that like he's so he seems so open-minded and accepting and then nope. Wait. Let me just do this. It's, it's yeah, no. I'm only open-minded and accepting when it comes to talking with trees. <laughs> exactly. And that this idea that there's a species that the the male comes to sexual whatever uh when he becomes a tree and the woman is born a grub. And like the and that's when she gets pregnant is when she's like this tiny little baby pig. Oh, like man. that is so crazy. That is such a cool idea. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, a it's a great idea. And and the the piggies and their entire existence and yeah. the, the and hive the, and, queen. Well, too. and like the wives and how the wives of the piggies are the infertile women, but they're in charge of everything. And like they're they're the holy like leaders of stuff. It's so it's so cool and intricate and neat. And the Hive Queen and how she functions so cool and neat and, and accepting of what is alien. And then at the same time, not accepting of homosexuality. <laughs> well, and, and, and that's where, I mean, it, he, he actually very, he doesn't, he doesn't talk about it much, right? Like the, it's the, the, the Framling and Ramen and I can, I can never pronounce it, Varelsi. Varels. Yeah. Varels. Varels. Those are the that's... ones that he's interested in talking about in terms of the story. He doesn't talk about Outlanding, right? Like it's not the Outlander who we recognize as as just being human, but of, of somewhere world, else. Yeah. yeah, from our world, but a different town. Yeah. Yeah, and and so like it it it's almost like okay, just go back to step one and pay more attention to that Orson Scott card cuz if you get there you're going to understand the human experience a little bit better instead of 
uh, all these is, beautiful alien experiences. That is a wonderful observation about his writing, is that he does spend time on Raman and Varel's, and that is the huge distinction he's trying to make and the thing he's trying to decide. Are they Raman or are they Varel's? But he doesn't stop to think about, like, how do we treat our Utlandings, you know, people of our world from a different place, you know? Yeah. How do we treat them? Well, and and, and there's even with uh, with with Miro and uh, Uranda? U- the- Uanda. Uanda, Uanda, the the beautiful recognition of the incest taboo, yeah. that that he actually explores pretty beautifully, right? And how how troubling it would be, and how how Miro would even give up, run on, off into the forest, and like yeah. and just like be live together, even though they shouldn't, like yeah. Oh. And that's and that's such a beautiful accepting of foreignness in in the character, and yet, you know. Yeah, and yet, and yet. That's a, a big a big statement. Oh, man. Orson Scott Card. Fucking guy. Um, uh, so one thing we haven't talked about at all, which I kind of think we need to talk about, is to go all the way back to the very beginning, to Ender's Game. Mm-hmm. Because we have mentioned nothing about the game. Battle School and... The game, the, game. the only game that matters. Um, well, uh, you're and... you're talking about the giant's drink then. That's the only game that matters, Dave. Oh, that's such a great. I know. It's such a cool storyline. That whole in the video game thing, and he goes to the tower at the end and sees Peter's face in the mirror and stuff. Like all of that is so cool. So come on, I mean, Peter shows up in his video game. Of course, he has to show up in the last book. Come on, Don't... come on. <laughs> Repeat that it to yourself. A... It sounds insane. <laughs> Only because I'm talking about science fiction out loud. But it's awesome. It is such a cool... It has. He has to come back. Peter has to come back. But um. yes, Battle School. We haven't talked about it at all. And there's the, the zero gravity fighting game and stuff like that. And how... Uh, I mean, how that is the... That is the idea that made him write those books. Mm-hmm. In the first place. Was like having to fight in zero gravity. Like, I think that was his thought of like boys fighting in zero gravity and how cool that is being able to like launch off walls and shoot each other with these like laser guns and like how there's all directions and no directions. And that general idea that the enemy's gate is down and to re constantly reorient your perspective on things, which is again, so ironic when you think about Orson Scott Card, but that philosophy has actually affected my life in a, a lot of ways that you should constantly be reorienting and constantly shifting and looking at things in a different way. So as not to get stuck in that, that uh, the gravity of the hallway, you know, uh, and thinking about that as an improviser going on stage, not being st- trapped to the gravity of what you think is happening in your head, but to constantly change and allow the offers your scene partner makes to alter your view on the scene. And now, oh, we aren't doing that. We're actually doing this because of what they say and allow yourself to go through those changes uh, and shift your perspective has been very influential on in my life. Well, and and for me, that's that's one of the kind of mantras that I try to remind myself whenever I'm working with philosophy, whenever I'm doing scholarly work, whenever I'm reading a text that I either think I understand or, you know, do understand in quotes, I always try and take this mentality of don't get stuck in tradition, don't get stuck in traditional ways of thinking because it's dangerous and you get trapped and you end up you end up missing 
maybe nuances or, or missing the, the importance or, or missing what's actually going on. And that's, I mean, the final, Ender's final battle in, with Dragon Army, where Ender realizes that the point of the game isn't to beat the other team, the point of the game is to press the button at the other at the enemy's gate like it's <laughs> like and and that is such a revolutionary sort of idea that happens right at the end of the battle school experience yeah like it's a it's a there's a sense in which it's amazing that no one ever thought of that and yet at the same time whenever i'm doing scholarly work we there are so many examples of people who get stuck in particular ways of thinking so that they forget that they they've been oriented in a particular way the whole time that has necessarily blinded them to what's behind them or what's in a different direction and so mm-hmm. i mean as an improviser yes as a philosopher yes i this stuff has to come up for me yeah uh and this is the the and that whole idea goes through that whole book series to me is that it is about redefining and challenging your perspective and which is what makes Ender such a great character to be the speaker for the dead because of the fact that he is the xenocide and the speaker for the dead the one who is like you know uh, carrying the burden of all of humanity on his shoulders (laughs) is the reason he can look at a person's life in its entirety as a speaker for the dead and love them even because there's nothing they've done that he hasn't done that's worse and so he can find a way to love them and share who they really are with the rest of the world and change his perspective and sort of become that person for a while. Uh, and like changing our perspective on what is like a stranger and a ramen and a, and Varels and all that. And so that whole theme going through all those books, I think, is what makes it such a powerful book series to me is that it reminds me to constantly challenge my views, hmm. which is ironic because it was written by Orson Scott Card. <laughs> oh, you who speak languages, you are such liars. Ah, oh, dude, I highlighted that same sentence. Of course you did. When it's... I was reading the book. Because <laughs> it is, uh, yeah. I mean, the just like my copy of Dune, this is a book that is dog-eared all to hell. Oh, like, yeah, man. I, <laughs> I, I, I love it. Languages are such liars. Oh, I love you. Um, and uh, yeah, hey, a lie is more dependable than the truth. Uh, Which he feels yeah. the need to repeat in the Ender's Shadow books. Sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, but the the other thing that goes through all of them that that whole idea of like each chapter opens with a conversation between people. Oh man, with... we didn't even we haven't even talked about his writing style. Yes, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And we we should probably wrap up pretty soon. We should, but yes. um, but. But that idea in, in those, like how each chapter heading opens with, like in Ender's Game, it's the conversation between Graf and Anderson or two people that Graf's talking with somebody. Usually it's Anderson. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Speaker for the Dead is documents, uh, the writings of, of Miro and Wanda and Pippo and Starways Congress and all these things. And the life and, of human at uh, the and, very end. Uh, yeah, and the life of human. So it's like books and things people have written. And then uh, Xenocide is the conversation between the Hive Queen and uh, Ruder. Or is it the Hive Queen and Human? I, you know what? I haven't decided because I think there are points where it could be either of them. I think it's Ruder, but... but uh, I think it's Human, but I'm uh, happy to not... Maybe it is Human then. I don't know. I feel like I knew at one point. Like I think it's mentioned in their, in their conversation at some point, but whatever. Um, 
Uh, like he, she mentions that Ender was the one that killed him and brought him into the third life. I, maybe so. Maybe it is human. Anyway, hmm. um, so that it's the conversation between one of the father trees and and the hive queen, and then the children of the mind is the god whispers of uh, Han Queen Zhao. Yeah, and so each of those openings shifts the perspective of the book to a different person's view on the story. You know, um, and I have always loved that about those books. In that, like, when you're reading uh, Speaker for the Dead and you're reading these documents that are kind of giving away a lot of what's happening, if you read them really closely, uh, especially the second time through, you read them closely and, like, they're saying, like, I don't know, I don't know if this is actually important, but this is what happened. What is that? What could this possibly mean? And then you read the chapter where it's like, oh, if you were paying attention to that document, you'd now know it, that the piggies uh, reproduce in a very strange way or that they become the trees, you know, like. Well, and that's the same thing in Ender's Game, right? Like in rereading, if you if you read the conversations between Graf and Anderson, you're like, oh, oh, I get it. <laughs> yeah, they're much closer than they think they are, and they need a kid, and he's the one. Let's do it. Yeah, like this is, <laughs> there's there's no subtlety here at all. This is very very clear. Oh, yeah, man, crazy. So yeah, yeah, no, it it does offer you a different perspective, and and really wonderfully so in the sense of like. Graf and Anderson both kind of acknowledged that they're idiots in comparison to these kids, and and so it allows us uh, it it allows us to kind of buy into the world a bit more, because they're having these these secret conversations and they're and and we we can't have an opera like Ender can't be doing math problems the whole game or the whole book right like yeah. he can't he can't be constantly showing you how intelligent he is so a lot some of it's going to have to just be telling. Mm-hmm. And and he finds a way to tell without, you know, having everyone come up to Ender and be like, you're so smart. Yeah. And it's also like that, that um, when you read the beginning of the chapters, especially uh, when you get to Children of the Mind and the lead ins to the to the chapters, which you've gotten so used to now, uh, have these wonderful, beautiful little quotes or like poetry type things. And then says the God whispers of Han Qing Zhao. And he never explains it. That is the book that those those are the things Queen Zhao said at the end of uh, Xenocide when she was going crazy in the house, like following the lines, yeah. which hasn't even happened yet. Yeah. That book has not been written yet. That book is like 20, 30, 40 years in the making still from when the Children of the Mind takes place, you know, because she's still a young kid at that point. Um, so it, it hasn't happened yet. And so it's this wonderful, like, here's a book from the future that is going to, we're going to have quotes from. So there are all these like, it's from a different view and from a different world or a different universe even sometimes. Uh, yeah, they're out of time. Yet. They're out of time, yeah. And that kind of gives you this whole new way of looking at each chapter you're reading or each story that's being told. And that's so, uh, it's just, it's it's beautiful. And it kind of ties in with his idea of allowing the characters to grow and change, right? And in doing so, each character is constantly reinventing themselves and changing who they are and becoming different people and having different views and different perspectives and and allowing that to happen to people and his characters is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's beautifully done and and his I mean I I think he stumbled upon it but the way he stumbled upon beautiful a beautiful story and beautiful storytelling in in the Enderverse I it it's so wonderful to read. And I I mean if you've gotten this far on the podcast and haven't read uh, all the way to the end of Children of the Mind, go go do it. I I can't I can't uh, advocate it enough. It is 
even even for my complaints, I think that it's a beautiful series, and I think that it ends beautifully, and I think that it has ended Orson Scott Card. It's done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I've just uh I just gotta say the the line, um, it was a lie, of course, that it wouldn't hurt a bit, but since adults always said it when it was going to hurt, he could count on that statement as an accurate accurate prediction of the future. Sometimes lies were more dependable than truth is the second paragraph of the story. I know. I know. And like God, how did we not know? <laughs> I mean you know, you, you don't you don't kind of expect that sort of gut punch. It's called Ender's Game. Of course it's not really a game, and of course he's gonna end something. How are we so foolish? <laughs> Hey man, I read it when I was a child. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Wow, man, this has been fun. This has been fun. It but has do, been we, fun. we do need to wrap it up. Uh, any any final last uh, sentence you want to say about uh, the Ender's series, or anything you want to re re say that you said during this podcast? There is one thing I want to say. So w- one thing that's always bothered me about the series is that there's the four orders of foreignness, mm-hmm. but there's actually five. Yeah. The fifth, it's the the juror, the dire beast that comes in the night with slavering jaws. I remember reading that sentence and going, oh, yeah, that is what it's called. The juror. Yeah. yeah. And and I it, it wasn't until this reread that I sat down and I'm just like, oh, I should casually write these down so I have them at hand. I'm like, wait a minute. There are five of these. And yet it's always referred to as fourth, four. Well, because what oh. it is, I, I think what, what they define it as is the four uh, types of, of strangeness, the four... What yeah, the four, the, the four of, orders of foreignness. Yeah. The four orders of foreignness, uh, and Jure isn't a uh, one of, a foreign creature. Uh, it's not. It's not about foreignness. It's about the 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 creature with slavering jaws that comes in the night to eat you. Like it's the boogeyman. Like it's a monster. Basically, is what the Jure is. Uh, that I, I so I, I guess I, that's why I always thought of it as like, oh yeah, it's not one of the parts of foreignness. It's just the evil monster. It's the boogeyman. It's the monster under the bed. It's the thing we're all afraid of. You know, like. I, it may not, it, do, it doesn't actually exist and it's never been seen it's just a fear that exists in us you know like that's how i've kind of always looked at that see it totally and 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 i think that there's there's something interesting in that but but i'm i con- considering the stories that are being told here about uh you know the the boogeyman quality of a bunch of different things in here it it's always been interesting to me that uh, and I wonder whether it's a deliberate choice on his part that that's something that gets dropped uh, in mm. in the in the the retelling of uh, of Valentine's essay, right? That that's that's not the important part because we're we're concerned with levels of humanness and and uh, and the true alien. We're not concerned with the boogeyman beast, even yeah. though that's what the the colony of Listania is right. It's the fear of the the boogeyman. Yeah, it's not it's not the fear of the alien. It's it's the fear of this unimagined, who knows what it could do, beast. And I I, I don't yeah. think that it's and, vital, but it was interesting. And uh, I think I think they call it the four orders of foreignness before he mentions the jour. Yeah, no, it's it's all in the the same paragraph. It's yeah, the where they say like the four orders of foreignness, yeah. and then they talk about it, and then he's like, "What about the Jew or the beast that comes in the night?" And so they are, it's just referred to as the four orders of I foreignness, know. even by Demosthenes. Yeah, Demosthenes. I have no idea how to say that name either. Ugh, it's so hard to talk about these books. That's why I said Valentine. Um, yeah, Valentine. Why why do you say Valentine? Why not Valentine? It's it's clearly a word we already know. 
you know what, man? It's Val. Leave me alone. Um, at least, at least the main character's name is Andrew. <laughs> Get that simple. Last thoughts for you. Oh well, I just uh, like we. There's so much more that we could talk about with this series, like that we didn't even really delve into. We just touched on Battle School at the end there, uh, but there's so much more in Ender's Game that we haven't even explored, like the whole idea of the nets and how uh, Locke and Demos the knees take over. You know, like all that stuff. We didn't talk anything about the Descalada or the Descaladors, yeah. uh, and this like this virus that they were these people that communicated through viruses and stuff like that. Yeah. Didn't even we get didn't into talk that. about Xenodors. <laughs> we didn't talk about Xenodors. Yeah, we didn't talk about... Uh, there's so much that we didn't even get into, uh, like how the piggies transform into trees and uh, the, the, the town of Path and the whole uh, the the um, obsessive-compulsive disorder uh, kind of thing of it and how Royal Mother of the West sleeps her way into the house of Hanfeitsu, like all these things <laughs> that we didn't even touch on. Uh, and there's so much in these books to unlock and to think about and to... To, to, that there's never been a time when I've reread these books that I haven't noticed something different or thought about something in a different way or uh, at the very least found a way to reapply what I learned from reading these books to the current state of my life. Uh, and reading it now and looking at like where I am in my life and how it always applies and I've never had it not which is one of those things where when if if I'm getting that feeling every time I read it, then this story is a story that is a, a universal story that the themes within it apply always and to everything. And it's a, and it's and I will always reread these books throughout my life. Well, I, I think we should call it a podcast here. So uh, salam, Dave. Uh, shalom, my friend. Uh, like L.A. says. Uh, and I'll, I'll end you with this. I've watched through his eyes, I've listened through his ears, and I tell you he's the one, or at least as close as we're going to get. Mm-hmm.